Stephen Worley, welcome to the Consulting Pipeline Podcast. Thanks for having me, Philip. Looking forward to our chat today. Me too, um, particularly because I've done, uh, well, I when you said, hey, can I be on your podcast? I And you gave me some information. I said, what did I say? Um, is You're that, skeptical is that, <laughs> as you should be. Yeah. I said, is that revenue or profit um, or something to that effect? And, or I said, what's the profit margin? Because when people talk about impressive numbers, you know this, oh. our listeners know this, uh, they're very often talking about revenue, not, not profit. So um, I don't know a whole also, lot about you. It, oh, go ahead. What's, what's, you know, what's so important about that? And just uh, for your listeners, I'm with you. This is, I was just saying before how aligned I feel with your message too, is I want to be realistic with people and transparent about what it really is because most of what you see flying through your Instagram feed, your Facebook feed or whatever, telling you how to make a bucket load of money in a short amount of time, it makes great marketing copy. And that's exactly what the fear part of your brain wants to hear about how easy this is, but it's not true. Yeah. And I think what, you know, I know what Philip you're doing and I know what we're trying to do is to be realistic because the name of the game here is how do you sustain your personal motivation over the long term so you increase your probabilities of success and, and whatever that looks like for you but if you're going to be enamored by you know making a lot of money in a short run of time like you're going to get burned out or you are really going to compromise your values here here so Stephen, how um who are you how did you get to where you are today well, it's my 20th anniversary of working on my own. I got laid off election day 2000, was taught to be an employee, never ever thought I'd be sitting here today with you, Philip, inspiring other people to work for themselves and how to do it. But here I am, right? Like life is changing that fast for us. We're in unprecedented times in human history. So that's like the big cliff notes. Um, and I think what we'll be diving into more today, I think there's a lot of different phases in that development. The first five years, I didn't even accept that I was going to work for myself. I kept looking for a job because mm. it's that's how hardwired it is into you, right? You yeah. are convinced like you're not good enough to possibly run your own business, mm. even though I was doing really well. And then it finally clicked. I'm like, huh, why would I want to go back? What am I, what, what's it doing for me? Right. That I'm not doing for myself. Right. right. And, and that's part of what the brain is. The brain needs to get that familiarity to be like, oh, all right, you are doing this. Isn't that scary anymore? You've figured out most of the stuff. And then I really went all in on the first business where I would really feel was a focus. It was an online training business because I was tired of being on planes. And it was like, how do people do this for a living? It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And and then that was like in 2005 before people were really thinking about doing it. And I just did it because I was tired. Mm-hmm. And that, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. That was a training business focused on broadcasting the industry that I came out of mm-hmm. and what I knew. And then it really wasn't feeding my soul. I don't have a passion for saving broadcasting. I think everything has its time and certain things should expire. And it's probably one of those industries that could. Mm-hmm. So I then kind of was want to challenge myself again to be like, what is it? What is a problem that I really want to solve based on the, all the training consulting skills that I have? And it was like, hold on a second. I've been living the reality of the future of work for all this time. I have so much to teach people. I, about what it is. And I think that's my job. It's not just about saying, hey, work for yourself because you can 
you know, determine how much money you want to make. You can have freedom and you can have all this flexibility. But I'm telling people that's fast becoming the option. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is going to be work. We're heading toward an independent majority workforce. And so I feel like my job is not only to teach people, but it's the mechanics of it, but it's really the mindset of how to get more comfortable with this idea because we all grew out of a culture that told us that working for yourself was scary and risky and you shouldn't do it. And there's only a small group of people who are naturally born to be able to do this. And Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you, that's just not true. That's what you started doing in 2005. Is that is that right? That was the 2005 was I was going to local radio and television stations. I teamed up with this guy who I was managing this website while I was in business school focused on the local television industry. And I was writing about the future of television. Mm-hmm. And this guy was uh, had this training business on how to teach stations how to better promote themselves. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all these stations keep asking me, like, how do they make more money off of digital or how do they market with it? They're just starting to worry about it. And I'm like, if you could slap together a training, I could sell you easy. Mm-hmm. And so I did. So that's always like a, a strategy I often tell people is kind of fly underneath somebody else's existing brand because people mm-hmm. trust them already. And then they're mm-hmm. kind of being like, hey, meet my friend Steven. And so I got started going to these radio and television stations to start working with their news departments, marketing departments, sales departments about understanding how to use these digital tools more effectively. And I then went out on my own because I was actually really good at just getting in my own work. And I was charging more than the guy who was selling me. <laughs> <laughs> because I think you start really understanding, I was telling people, you when you start being able to charge more because you really start understanding the value of what you're delivering and the and the value the perceived value and, and how your clients perceive it, and you can have a better conversation. So mm-hmm. the numbers become a lot less scary. Mm-hmm. Um so what does your business look like today, Stephen? How do you make money? It's really the model, I have to say, it's different because it's more consumer-facing. The old business was more B2B. Yeah. So I like that challenge, but it's the model is not unlike what it was. It's I'm a trainer. I love creating okay. content. I love meeting people. I love creating um, clarity from chaos and really breaking it down into simple exercises to over and over again. And so today, the heart of our business is a 30-day accelerator program mm-hmm. wh- because I believe when you want to work for yourself and do this big thing new thing for the first time, it's really best to do it with a group of people who also want the same thing as you mm-hmm. or trying to figure it out. It's more motivating than just working with me one-on-one. Honestly, I see it time and again. Yeah, And because then you you start facilitating, they start getting ideas and perspectives and insights that they couldn't see. So I often tell people the number one thing to accelerate the growth of your business is to hang with like-minded people, mm-hmm. regular accountability check-ins, advisors, frequently talking to the people that you want to help and not asking them for for money mm-hmm. and so that's why we've designed the program in the way that we have and really the rest of the business allows me to have fun creating content having a podcast we're launching out a new weekly video series on linkedin blogging working on a book mm-hmm. and that is all kind of the funnel to attract people mm-hmm. and that's what I, another one of my philosophies you can challenge me today on philip i believe as a former sales trainer that we should not convince anybody of what it is that we're selling. We should do a better job of attracting people. Okay. And especially when you're a solopreneur, you have limited attention, time, and energy. You want to be working with the people who are aligned with you. You get them, they get you, same value alignment. You're both energizing each other. You're going to get better work and you're going to get paid better. And it's also better for your... We also think as a solopreneur, part of your profit margin is it's how well you use your limited energy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not working all the time. I'm yeah. never, I was never one of those people that worked 
80 100 hour weeks or people I, I still eye roll when people brag about that because yeah. I'm like, uh, what are your priorities? <laughs> <laughs> and that's unsustainable. You're not a robot. It's going to catch up to you eventually. All right. So the accelerator program, who's it for? What's the kind of transformation that happens during the program? So I'll take my own message that who's it for and then who am I attracting? Okay. Fair enough. Who's it for? Generally somebody who is, uh, they're frustrated by conventional work. They're mm. pretty smart people. They followed all the rules and they're like, I'm still not happy, mm. fulfilled or secure like I was promised. Mm -hmm. Like what's going on here? I feel like I've been lied to. And so there are people who also don't care about becoming millionaires or like changing the world. They're like, I just want to make enough money to live the life that I want, doing this thing that I'm pretty good at. And I've built up this not the, these skills and this knowledge database. Mm -hmm. So that's, I call it, a, that's that solopreneur business model. So most of the people that I work with end up becoming a consultant, a coach, a course creator, or they're selling some sort of digital product. Okay. Now, who, who do I attract? Because that's the funny thing when you're out in the world, right? I'm a huge believer in getting paid just to be yourself and not trying to be somebody that you're not. Mm. I'm always talking people out of marketing speak and like what you're supposed to sound like or what is a, a real consultant supposed to sound like. Right, right. So I attract introverts, even though I tend to be extroverted. I attract heart-centered people. Again, mm -hmm. people are like, I'm cool with like making $75,000 a year. I just don't want to be working eight hour weeks. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. And uh, people who actually want to have an impact, they actually really want to solve a problem worth solving. They don't want to just solve anything just to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. Because really, that's the sexy story that we've told about American success. We always love people who've made a lot of money, and the faster they did it, the better. But we never peel back the layers of that story to be like, hold on a second. How did they do that? Right. Think about Amazon. Their entire business model is based on exploiting people every step of the way, their employees, their investors, their customers. I know if you're into Amazon, you don't want to hear that, but it's true. <laughs> not cool. I'm not impressed with Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it to me. I kind of think he's been getting some plastic surgery lately. I see some pictures where I'm like, mm, I wonder. Okay. Well, so you get that. You have that much power. It goes to your head. I don't care how good you were when you started out. 30-day accelerator program, solopreneurs, um, helping And here's them. the thing I know, I, as you, you might be, somebody might be listening to this right now say, 30 days, Stephen, I'm like, it's a 30-day launch. Mm -hmm. It's to help people, They've been most of the people we work with have been thinking about starting a business on average for about two years. Mm -hmm. And I tell them like, do you wanna be thinking about this a year from now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or can we just like, what I wanna do is I wanna take over your life for 30 days to be like, Let's dig into this. Let's really figure this out. And let's come up with a strategic plan for the next year. What are the most important actions you need to take? Because a lot of times people get lulled into starting a business by focusing on the formation, the legal startup, my logo, my website, all that jazz. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, doesn't matter. You got to go mm -hmm. talk and listen to people first. And you don't need all that other stuff to do that. So those are the, I, I, I feel like it's a program to save you from yourself. It's unconventional business advice. And I went, I went to business school. Mm -hmm. And now I tell people, if you want to work for yourself, you do not need to go to business school. Let me save you a ton of time and a lot of money by doing this in 30 days. And then we built, we've built up an alumni network beyond that. We re realize for most people, this is a two to three year process. So we want to provide them with ongoing community support. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're, the goal is to provide them with a plan to know the questions that they didn't know need to ask 
and to really understand what are the three most important actions they need to take over the next three months to really take this seriously and stop just thinking about it and to do it, to make it a way of life, to make it part of their life. So it sounds like there's, I don't know, you t tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's kind of an orientation towards you're going to learn how to operate in today's online environment to attract clients or do marketing. Is that is that a part of this? Uh, if it is, I want to ask, what's what are you seeing that's, you know, like doesn't work anymore yeah. in an online environment or what's hard or what have you? Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, I would say I think it's been my tendency to I've look at the lens through the online world because the, there are a lot of amazing tools that are super helpful. But mm -hmm. now after being at this for 20 years, some of them are starting to become dangerous. So we have to mm -hmm. be aware of that. Or as you said, not as useful as they once were. I also really believe in good old fashioned human one-on-one -on -one conversation. I tell mm -hmm. that to everybody I work with. I'm like, first, you got to go talk and listen to 20 mm -hmm. people you think you want to help or they have the problem that you want to solve or they're really interested potentially in your business. Go listen to them first. Okay. You have no idea what kind of marketing copy to write to even buy paid ads right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I tell people is like, even in this digital age, start human first to really get a lot of information quickly and deeply in order to guide a lot of the decisions that you want to make for your business and how you're going to reach them. So the, listening to those 20 people are going to start dictating. There's two parts of it, dictating where are they and how do they want to be spoken to or how do they want to be reached out. But then you also have to stand like what energizes you? What are you good at, right? I love creating content. Mm -hmm. I love it. There's a lot of people like if, you, if you've been thinking about doing you're like, everybody's talking about content marketing strategies and you hate writing, like maybe you should rethink this. You know what I mean? Just because everybody else is doing something doesn't mean you should, and you can't do everything. So I would say one thing I'm pretty passionate about in the world of what works and what doesn't work or what I don't think is worth your energy. And this is another thing. People are attracted to me because of this message. Um, I don't believe you need social media to build your online business. Why not? I really don't. Yeah. Why not? Um, I will, one quick caveat. If you have a very visual business, mm -hmm. if it's um, like uh, design, fashion, floral, I will make an argument. I'm like, I think you're gonna need to be on something like Instagram, TikTok, right. YouTube, sure. whatever. What I think social media does, I guess as a content creator too, the shelf life of every piece of social media, oh, it's super quick to like go and create, but the quicker something is to create, the quicker its value goes away instantly, mm -hmm. right? And that means you have to constantly be doing it to be seen, to be noticed. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other hand, if you'd type in what's self-awareness into Google right now, we're probably still on the first page of Google results or how to find your why, we are on the first page of Google results. And those posts were written three to four years ago. Right, right. And what I love about that is like, I spent a lot of time and juiciness hanging out with those blog posts, and I always make them better and update them. But they're still paying me back year after year, month after month, while I sleep, while I go on vacation. And I'll have to be like a little hamster constantly, like throwing things into the social media. Right. Zip. So I'm, I'm doing a quick screen share here. So um, this is you, right? Developing developgoodhabits.com. Is that, am I getting that right? Or, oh, wait, hold on. Actually, that would be sales and marketing. Wait, hold on. And as a human, I want you to first think about 
how do you like to, how have you met people throughout your life? How do you want to meet people? How do you follow up with them? How have you built relationships with them? Yeah. And start taking an assessment of that. Start there. And I want you to develop an outreach habit that you can commit to. Like, Philip, like, what's, how would you define your outreach habit? How do you find clients? What's your method? Well, they, um, I don't do, let me see. And thank what you if, for uh, pulling these up and backing up my crazy outlandish <laughs> thing. See, people? Yeah. So folks who are listening to this on the podcast won't see this, but I just did a Google search for the phrase, how to find your why. Uh, one, two, three. So if we look at just, you know, what organic search results we've got. Wait a second. That's, yeah, there's no ads. I think about, think about that. Four. But not for nothing. I'm hanging out on the same page as Simon Sinek on the first page of Google results about why. Think about that, right? And I'll tell you another thing. I did it without doing any SEO BS. Okay. What I do is, I, this is my simple SEO recommendation to anybody is make a list of the most common questions the people you want to help have, the, the clients, the, the most common questions that your clients have. Answer them. That's your blog post. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Two o'clock in the morning, one of your clients is putting that question into a search engine looking for an answer. Yeah. And now they have one and it's from you. And you don't have to worry about endless like, and by the very nature of the questions that they're asking, that will give you a core body of keywords that they're using. So this happens naturally and organically. And Google's going to reward it. See, I'm always going to be rewarded. I'm not worried about chasing after Google's algorithms because I'm always want to create a great answer for somebody. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not like an SEO guy who's like, mm -hmm. all right, I got the 600 word minimum here for Google. You know, I have blog posts that are 2,500 words long. I don't care. Mm -hmm. So you'd ask about outreach. Uh, mostly my clients find me, you know, I'm publishing enough in enough places that- So content, you create across. content. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, so you're a content creator like I am. And I'm also the guy, do you like to go to conferences? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, what else to say? How do you identify uh, introvert, extrovert, somewhere in between? Oh, very much an introvert. You know what I've learned, because I want to compliment you, Philip, what I've learned from introvert um, business owners over the last 20 years, uh, and it's helping me. I do believe in some ways it's more valuable to focus on creating content. When you're an mm -hmm. introvert, when I talk to, when I work with people on our accelerator, the introverts tend to want to create content more. I'm like, mm -hmm. got to put yourself out there somehow. If you don't want to be shaking hands with people or patting them on the back at a conference, that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to be on the phone or sending them emails. Probably content creation is going to be your thing. But when you create content, you're creating this ongoing archive of what I just described to you. Every time I put, create a blog post, a podcast episode, I'm making my content archive more and more valuable. And I'm now then connecting with somebody in a way that I haven't connected before because of the way I said something, because of that title. Even our podcast, if we have over 300 episodes, we've designed it in such a way that we believe there's one story in there that will finally click with you. You're like, gosh, this person really resonated with me because I feel like I could see myself and them and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So now I'm motivated to want to do this. And so that's, I think, another powerful reason to consider, you know, content. And that's, you know, there's text-based content, there's video, there's audio, or I call it training. And then there's kind of social media, which is still a little bit text-based. Mm -hmm. So 
Back to what you see in your accelerator, I'm really interested. Um, mm -hmm. What are the, the kinds of ideas that people have for a business that tend to not, um, I want to say just they don't work out or they're just not good ideas? Yeah. I think ideas that aren't good ideas are the ones who are like, but this works for me. Mm -hmm. I needed this. Mm -hmm. That's generally a category. I would also say um, uh, anything that sounds uh, like it's supposed to, when they come to me and they have, I want to be a consultant, they feel like they've checked all the boxes of what they think a consultant should be. Yeah. And, and, I, and, and that's always a red flag for me. Okay. Another red flag is when they, uh, um, they're trying to cram too many different ideas into one idea sometimes. Mm. So that the, those are the, some of the things that I, I, I and then I'm going to go back to, to, to them and say, listen, how many people have you talked to about this? Right. And they're like, none. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got to start there. Maybe I'm wrong. Now, counterintuitively, I also really encourage people to make a list of all their strengths, talents, things they really like doing. Just make a list of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then make a list of the stuff that you're really curious about, interested, passion, sense of a mission, whatever you want to call that. Mm -hmm. And then if you have these two lines, it's almost like a Mad Libs or like those fun pad exercises like you do as a kid. Yeah. Then just for fun, draw random lines between one of your strengths and one of your interests mm -hmm. and see what crazy stuff you come up with. I actually think this is a more, why I like that exercise more going forward. I believe I'm trying to inspire people to get paid for what you're good at, who you are, mm -hmm. not to fit in to somebody else's model of what is successful. Again, that's going to sustain your motivation. The more you can be yourself, that has got better use of your energy. Mm -hmm. And it's going to help you stand out. I mean, I interviewed a guy on my podcast who for the last 13 years, I'm raising my right hand, <laughs> has made a living riding a 12-foot unicycle, juggling two knives and a flame on three continents. He actually owns three vans on three different continents. He just does this tour. Wow. And he's made a living doing that. And he's doing wow. his thing. Mm -hmm. I met a, I interviewed another woman in Montreal who just liked dressing up kind of thing, fantasy things, mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, Renaissance fair stuff. Yeah. And she loves swimming. And she just got lost her job. And she's like, how about like, I'm going to wonder if like, can you like swim with a mermaid fin? Uh -huh. So she like did it. She found like she found some German company online that had these fins or whatever. Mm -hmm. And she did uh, her first class like in Montreal and it sold out. And today she has over 10 locations in North America for mermaid swimming schools. And Philip, she did so well. <laughs> she had to create a second business because the, her, her, I think she was uh, buying these fins from a, a vendor in China. They couldn't mm -hmm. keep up with her needs. So she, created her own. Wow. See, that's the kind of stuff you think. Now, I know it's like, I think 20 years ago, if, I, if we said any of those, people would be talking you out of that stuff. You're right. crazy. You can't do it. Yeah. But today, we, because of the internet, we can find these audiences more easily. Mm -hmm. And I say the brighter you are yourself, then people can see you. Right. Mm -hmm. The more you try to live up to somebody else or do what you're supposed to do or do the little checklist, the dimmer your light is and the harder it is for you to find. And it's really not that exciting. Well said. So uh, likewise, where do you see people um, being the most kind of unrealistic in their own self-assessment? Where do they How make How fast this? they can do this. <laughs> okay. 
Say more about We that. are horrible. Oh, poor human beings. It's really our brain. We are terrible <laughs> with understanding how much attention, energy, and time we have. Mm -hmm. And I'm obsessed with that. Like, so when we're talking about business, we always want to talk about money. Money is a storage device. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. It's a storage. It represents energy you've accumulated. And it can then help you, you know, uh, maximize your limited energy and time, you know, in the future. But what you have right now is attention, energy, and time. And that you need those first. And you need to manage them better in order to make money, in order mm -hmm. to store it into money, turn it to money. So we work, we do a ton of work. Let me ask you this. How many hours a day, Philip, do you have for your best mental work? Where you have your best mental clarity to do your best work. How many hours a day realistically do you have? Um, on a good day, two hours on a like amazing day to a, a three and a half, four. Yeah, I see. And I, and I love answering this question or asking this question because people are starting to realize when you really stop and think about it, you're like, could I really write and work on a book for eight hours a day, day after day? No. I mean, I was a history major, so I've read all kinds of biographies about yeah. artists, philosophers, scientists. None of them worked. Eight hour workday was totally made up. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. That's how you start knowing like the foundation of your work. So when does it happen for you? Like, like generally, what time of day do you have your that best energy? No, for me, it's the morning, um, yeah. preferably early morning. Um, I'm going to whine a little bit about getting older. <laughs> when I was in my twenties. Oh come on! You look fantastic, <laughs> Phil. Give me a break. Appreciate that. When I was in my twenties, I worked uh, like I had a job, right? Like you and. So the perception was, you know, job time belongs to the employer. The rest of the day belongs to me. And so I wanted like the rest of the day to have as much sunlight as possible. So I love the summer, moved to Portland, Oregon. And I was like, oh, it's light till 10 at night here in the summer. It's amazing. And then I started working for myself and that perception shifted and it started to feel like, well, this is all my time. This all belongs to me and um, I'm doing what I want you know, most of the time. So now I would prefer for it to get dark at, um, I'm not kidding, 6 or 7 p.m. I asleep, you know, by 8. And then I can get up at my preferred time of 4 or 5. That has not been working this summer. But anyway, morning to answer I hear question. you, though, too. I go to bed by 9. <laughs> I like to, I, the weekend, I mean, I, so I spent most of my life in New England. So the sun comes up crazy early mm. in, like, Boston. It's mm -hmm. like, Five something so okay. like in june i'm getting up naturally just out of bed yeah and but in the winter time it's harder i'm sleeping nine to ten hours a night yeah though it's hibernation time so yeah. also that's the cool thing when you start really tapping into this you break yourself out of the industrial rhythm you start getting back into the rhythms of how humans did function right. you know based on nature and which is a much i find more efficient use of my personal energy and that's the thing we have to really remind ourselves so it's so dominant in the media. We're always looking when we want to learn something to success stories to others who have done this. And we're modeling ourselves after corporations. You are not a corporation. <laughs> You're a human. Yeah. And you have as much as like it's ridiculous that we have to deal with the same tax codes as corporations do. But you have to remind yourself you're human. You have different resources and you have to use them. You have to be a business person and say, how am I using my limited energy? And I'm with Philip. I, my my best time is like in the morning, seven to eleven. Mm -hmm. So I'm a content creator. So I'm reserving my 
amazing energy for like my most important work, working on the book, writing blog posts. And then I start in the afternoon. It's like when I do my coaching calls and I do podcast interviews because just meeting and talking to people, as you're probably vibing by now, doesn't take a ton of energy for me. It energizes me. In fact, I enjoy it. Right. And then late in the afternoon, I like to do something you know, nature outside or sometimes even in the middle of the day, I take breaks, meditate. Mm -hmm. Uh, because being outside is also very energizing for me. And I like to get, to, yeah, like I said, I like to get fed by nine o'clock. So I think that's the, I always tell people before we jumped on, I was going to, you know, share, there's four learning curves when you mm -hmm. want to start working for yourself. And everybody thinks finding clients, validating your ideas, set up your business are the hardest ones. People right. always ask about setting up your business, like, right. you know, like playing house, playing business. Like this makes me feel like I'm starting a business if I do this stuff. Right. Hardest thing is managing yourself. That's what I actually spend the first week of our accelerator on is like how to manage yourself. Hmm. And we're actually building a whole on-demand course on that. We even want people to go through that before they even consider going through our accelerator. It's that important mm -hmm. because you're going to get your best business idea the better you understand yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I like to joke that my boss is a jerk sometimes. That's me. He um, used to be, but I, I I quit from him, and now he's now. You know what he does? I'm like, hey, can I take a nap because I'm feeling revved up? And he's like, sure, go ahead. And that's the funny thing. We you get to this level of doing this for so long. I now view meditation or a 20 minute nap, or sometimes it goes into an hour, is a productive activity because yeah. then I come out of it. My brain is so much more processed and cleansed, whatever I need to get through. Then I can really get back into something at a higher level of quality rather than keep pushing through it. I've, I'm just getting so much better about managing my brain or building a relationship with my brain and realizing it has its own agenda outside of mine. So how do you get 20 conversations with people you don't know? A lot of folks are like, they can understand the value of talking to potential clients or customers, but how actually do you do that? Simplest thing. And it's also simple for, again, for people's brains. I want you first to make a list of everybody you know who would help you with your business, mm -hmm. whether it's it could be a client, an advisor, or they're just good at introducing you to people. Okay. Scan all of your social media, emails, phone, your email contacts, because a lot of times we forget. That's step one. Then every time, and, and the other key to this is you look at that list, it has to be energy. You have to be like, heck yeah, I, mm. I totally forgot about this, that person. Yeah. If you're like, maybe, do not put them on this list. Okay. The, a big part of the work I do is also you got to listen to your inner voice. There's other parts of your brain that already knows what it wants and you're just not listening to it. I often call myself, I'm an advocate for your inner voice because you're not listening to it right now. Mm -hmm. And like feel that excitement for that person. Even sometimes, even if you don't know why, put them on the list. Mm -hmm. Then reach out to each of these people based on like, hey, haven't heard from you a lot. It'd be fun to catch up. This is what I'm working on right now. And that's the other thing we forget to do when we want to start a business for the first time. We forget to tell the people that we already know. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got to do that first, step one. And then as you reach out to each one of those people, ask them toward the end of the conversation, do you know one person that I could talk to that might be interested in my service or might help me with a skill I'm developing. What's like one ask you can have? What's one person? Mm -hmm. And be specific because that makes it easier for their brain to think about it. A lot of times we leave conversations. Hey, Philip, if you think of anybody who's interested in becoming a solopreneur, would you you know consider introducing to me about my accelerator? It's too broad. But I've always said to Philip, like, 
do you know somebody has been recently laid off who's been thinking about working for themselves for like over a year and you know that they're so ready would you mm -hmm. mind referring them to me mm -hmm. because i want somebody who's more ready yeah. i don't want just anybody and then right. it's also easier for philip's brain to be like huh you know what i actually do know somebody mm -hmm. and all i want is one quality relationship at a time and again if you make this a habit you will have a steady supply of leads and you're never going to have to panic about finding work that's the other thing i always tell people mm -hmm. outreach is not a to-do list item it's not an obligation right it is something you're always doing it's something that you enjoy doing even when business is really good you still have outreach it might be not your 100 capacity maybe it's lower to like 20 percent, but you're always doing it mm -hmm. i'm always doing it so here's the question that I've been waiting to ask Stephen, how did you make $600,000 annually from a pool Sometimes of just 50 potential clients? Sometimes I even wonder. I totally <laughs> fell into that business. <laughs> wow. Talk about timing. And now I call this whole idea of what I went through in the last was the niche tribe model. So my last, just a quick cliff notes. I think I already explained that um, I came out of the broadcast industry. I was more on the content creation side. I worked for CBS News Sunday Morning and CNBC, worked at a dot-com owned by CBS, got laid off from that. So I eventually fell into, I was really interested in digital marketing and learning all about that. And I teamed up with that guy who started selling me as a trainer. So I would do these three to six hour workshops at stations. Mm -hmm. And then I got in a groove and I went on my own. I was getting my own business, but I was doing like three to four of those. Um, a month yeah, and I'm in my early thirties and I'm like, how do people do this as a living? I don't enjoy being on a plane all the time. And also I love doing great work. So I would do customized trainings based on the market for whether it's a television or radio station. So I'm reinventing uh -huh. the wheel every time I have a new client. Okay. So I was like, can I just, how can I just do one thing, sell it over and over again and not get on a plane? Mm -hmm. And I said, huh, why don't I just put this online? I could do video modules and trainings because I could still have a consulting business, but that'll be more of the higher level strategic customized stuff. But there is this whole body of stuff of just the basics that they're asking me to do over mm -hmm. and over again. So like, mm -hmm. let me just codify that, like just turn it into a standard training. So I did that and I actually started teaming up with some other trainers. You know, there's a lot of trainers in broadcasting who had no online business. You know, So I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll create this new revenue stream for you. Mm -hmm. I ended up having 35 trainers. And uh, we had about 600 videos. I mean, we had like uh, trainings on how to talk to the automotive sector, or how to talk to like the healthcare sector, um, how to sell more display ads, how to sell more paid search advertising. We got really granular. Mm -hmm. We had a weekly newsletter. We actually created this concept of we became part of their sales meeting because a lot mm -hmm. of salespeople, the managers are so busy. They're like, we, we want to teach them something I'm like, great. Hey, find a new video on our website every Monday morning. And so we became part of their mm -hmm. habit, their culture. Mm -hmm. So where where I, I so this so now there's about twenty thousand radio stations in the United States and about eight to ten or I'm sorry, about two thousand television stations. I'm one person. At this point, I do have a small team of four, but they're helping me do all the content production. Mm -hmm. I'm the sales guy. I don't want to go call each one of these people. When I'm thinking about this, it's thinking about doing this. So there are 50 state broadcast associations that represent all these radio and television stations. Mm -hmm. So I'm a huge advocate of partnering with the gatekeepers, the mm -hmm. influencers. Remember, they have a trusted brand and I want them, them to introduce me to their community because they don't know me, right? Right. So I, um, before I even had a website, I had talked to three trainers. 
I um, got eight of the uh, eight of the state broadcast associations to say yes for the next year. Mm-hmm. So I had my investment money to go build this website, build these trainings. Like, because remember, this is 2008 too, Philip. 2008. Right. Everybody's like, oh God, how are you doing? You know, all the small business owner must have been horrible in the Great Recession. Yeah. Well, I had I fell into one of the greatest opportunities of my career because all these broadcasters weren't hiring people. They're not going to bring me in for like $10,000 at a pop or $5,000 for the day. Mm-hmm. So I was saying to them like, I'll give you five trainers for the price of one. You can have them every day of the year. And they're like, wow, let's do it. Mm-hmm. So I was selling an efficiency, a short-term problem too. So they could, so the state broadcast association could sh- keep showing their members that they're doing this big thing for them every day of mm-hmm. the year. And once you get those eight on board and you kind of get your kinks out, you get, you know, we started adding more trainers. Uh, then the next, I always did my, the other funny thing of this sales model, um, all sales, everything was done by the end of January because it was all based on budgets. Uh-huh. And uh, so I got 80% of my revenue by January 31st every single year, so which I don't even know how I could ever figure out how to do that again. <laughs> yeah, because you, you learned some cash flow management discipline from that. <laughs> yes. And so you had, so, cause I, it was a nice cycle. So I had to do all my, my proposals, like starting like end of September, it would close by the end of December. So you get your first eight. And then I, from the previous year, I knew there was the next group who's interested, but they want to see how it went with the first eight first. Mm-hmm. And then they come on board and then that's how you keep bringing it. And then you start learning what are the pain points and some of the smaller associations like, gosh, we really need marketing help. If we, I wouldn't even know how to market this to my members. Like, great we'll do that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or there were other deals that we do with them to say, okay, it looks like this is going to be a more appropriate price point of, especially for the really small association. So a large association was like $60,000. Mm-hmm. Some of the very small associations like a Wyoming or a Vermont was like $5,000. That's what they could afford. But mm-hmm. it always ended up working at about, about $150 a station. Mm-hmm. And so they were still getting a good deal because you have a, a staff of a sales staff of eight, $150 for a year for a station. I mean, I was almost like from my perspective, getting robbed <laughs> for right. what we were giving them and doing for them. But it was also at the same time was super efficient for me. We forget like, could I have made even more money? Sure. But I would, I'd have to hire more people. That is more expenses. And a lot of people don't think this. And I know I've met other people who have experienced this. Sometimes when your business gets really big from a revenue perspective, you as the founder actually start making less money. Mm-hmm. And you're also, your bandwidth starts getting sucked up by having to deal with more and more people. So I've known for a long time, especially in that business, that I don't wanna do that. The goal of this business is I wanna work in a reasonable amount of time. And by year, I would say three and a half years in, I was working about 20 hours a week mm-hmm. because I created systems, hired a good team, and I really knew the needs of these clients really, really well. So at the end of the day, by 2012, by the year that I sold it to one of my original trainers, um, I had sold 32 of the 50 states mm-hmm. and no other broadcast trainer had ever had a relationship with an economic relationship, a financial relationship with that many state broadcast associations. In fact, I would go to, they had an annual meeting of state broadcast associations every year and I would go as a sponsor, you know, uh-huh. just to like give back. And we had, you know, there was large um, and then like 
large, medium, small, medium, and then small state broadcast associations, we were, in terms of revenue, a large, medium state broadcast association. We were economically larger than probably almost half of the state broadcast associations in that room. Wow. I've been sketching a diagram. Folks listening to this won't see it. Let's see. Uh, Is that about right? So you kind of like, you aggregated some supply, which is these, uh, this group of trainers, right? Trainers. You're sort of like, I don't know if you've seen Egghead for um, like uh, software development training, but kind of like that, you're sort of like, creating a platform where they have a lot of training content, but that, that all goes through you. And then yep. you've got all these stations, thousands of them, but, th- but you're dealing not with them individually, but with the associations that are struggling to serve them in a difficult time. Yes. So we've kind of got these two funnels in a way, aggregating supply and demand and, and you and the associations are really doing the business relationship. Is that kind of what was going on with that? 100%. Okay. Elegantly, simply drafted on some nice graph paper, Philip. Thank you. That's super And I want to let people know is yeah. there are thousands of these opportunities in our economy. If you want to go look for them, there is still so much niche specific things to be taught because things are changing so quickly now that it, it's not enough to just train your staff or your team once every two years or once a year even. Mm-hmm. You have to have a continuous flow. So, and also I'm a big advocate, as you could see, that when you go really niche and really specific and people see the volume, the other thing I was told is like, those broadcasters, I was their guy. Mm-hmm. I was their go-to expert for this, especially for digital advertising training. So they started referring me to them, uh, referring me to each other. So that way I wasn't always chasing after them. They just kept coming to me. And also the funny thing is, as much as I wanted to get off the road because I did all of this online, I got way more consulting and speaking work than I could even handle. I just kept saying no. I just kept raising my rates. Yeah. Because I didn't really want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, if you pay me like crazy money, okay. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. listening. So how did you build trust with these 32 associations that ended up becoming your customers? How did you earn their trust? Like I could, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here, Stephen. Like I could imagine them seeing you as this young guy, kind of like not a suit, right? You don't come across as a suit to me. Uh, how did you earn their I trust? one left for weddings and funerals. <laughs> I just gave my last one away. I know, I'm thinking about it. Yep. Anyway, how'd you earn the um, trust? Number one, this is why I call it this niche tribe model, is when you're thinking about starting a business, number one, make an inventory of everything you're already good at. Because that's the thing, you have to get used to like even just running a business. Yeah. Like, don't go, I would advise against starting a business with an idea where you have no knowledge, no skills, and absolutely no connections. You can do it. It's just going to take you a heck of a long time. Sure. So do what I did is like, I already had the skill set that I was very comfortable with. And I did it for an industry where I was already had a lot of connections and comfort. So that's thing number one. They saw me as one of them. There could have been somebody way better at digital marketing than me or digital advertising sales, but they weren't a broadcaster like Stephen was. Mm-hmm. I could talk their language. 
I knew them. I knew their problem better than they knew them their their own problem. And that's what I always tell people: is you have to listen, really know them, um, and and take care of them. Like I, a lot of these folks, they were like fifty plus. They, I mean, I if I wanted our trainings to be used by their members, I had to create a marketing structure for them. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, they thought I was doing this big favor for them, but. I knew I had to create a habit in order for them to keep doing this. So it was, we made everybody happy. And you just get into their world more and more. You just start becoming part of their infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And here it is, um, what, 2007, 13 years later, localbroadcastsales.com still exists. How's the business doing? I know you sold it. It almost has no... It's, uh, it never had, there was technically a competitor, but they just never figured it out. And here's another, another, uh, thing because perfectionism always seeps into our brain. I kept the production values very simple because I knew that it was more important to pump out a greater variety of topics more quickly. My competitor had these beautiful, as a only a broadcaster would probably produce slick, beautiful, high-end videos. Mm-hmm. But with a such a narrow range of topics, it was like, eh, who cares? Mm. They didn't care that Stephen had a brown curtain behind him. He was telling <laughs> me how to make money today. <laughs> you know, so that's yeah. the other thing I tell people is like, your brain's going to invent all this stuff. It's like asking for permission. We, what really needs to happen here, especially in the world of consulting, like, like you don't need to do formal proposals anymore. Uh, even if you're in industry, you're like, oh, Stephen, you have to do them. Do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Challenge yourself because it's about having the conversation. It's a way, It's fake work. It's productive procrastination. It's work mm-hmm. that makes you feel like you're doing work but doesn't really need to get done. What really needs to get done is to solve the freaking problem of your client. Mm-hmm. And I would even say to my client, like, I don't want to waste my time doing a proposal for you. Here's the three things I want to do for you. Here's an experiment that we want to start with. Why don't we try that first and see where it goes? And that at least I'm building. And that's the only thing about building trust and relationships. You asked earlier how I gained their trust too. And I would say this for any consultant is the sooner you can just start working on something with them, they get you get to see what it's like to work with them. They get to see what it's like to work with you. Mm-hmm. Proposals are never going to show that. Yeah, All right. the questions in the world are never going to show that. That they're, they're going to ask you or interviewing or talking to their entire team. Just work on something together for 30 days, see how it goes, um, economically low impact on them, but on you, like shoot for the moon, like hit it out of the park. So they're like, wow, what else could you do for us? Right. That's the interview now. That's where consultants really need to shift. We're almost out of time. Stephen, I'm going to be... You've you've pressed all of my right buttons today, Philip. Thank you. (laughs) Well, the final one, I'm going to be disappointed if you don't have something to pitch or tell folks about. What do you got for us? I like, and I'm going to give her too. I got a lot of free stuff. I just, and that's what I always tell people, like, I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm going to earn your trust first. And you know, a lot of people have lots of giveaways on their website and you're always disappointed. Mm -hmm. You will not be disappointed. There's actually a lot of stuff that... People are like, I cannot believe you give so much away. Like you really should start charging for this. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to because I'm so passionate. Like people don't realize the train wreck that is coming in terms of work. Work mm-hmm. as you know it, as it's been taught to you, is forever changing. So we actually updated our new get started page. You can go to lifeskillsatmatters.com slash get started. Wait, can it's you say, say the URL? Sorry. Can you say the URL again? You went a little fast there. Lifeskillsatmatter. Great. Thank you. Dot com 
slash get started. Okay. And there's three main obstacles that people butt up against in terms of finally pulling the trigger and working for themselves, getting their businesses going. It's knowing how to manage themselves, validating their idea, and building support, finding clients and advisors. Mm -hmm. So pick your path and you're gonna get emails for a year for free from us about things you can start doing, exercises, mm -hmm. mindsets, ideas. And we have, we have a lifestyle calculator on that page too. Um, that's also free to really understand what's your number. You know, to, you're not impressing me if you're saying, I, I want to build a million dollar consulting business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask why. And turns out a lot of people that I work with, they're like, oh, it turns out I only need to make $68,000 a year. Huh. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. And uh, if you're interested in podcasts, you might be because you're listening to Phillips here. Uh, check out Life Skills That Matter on whatever podcast app that you're using. Stephen, thanks for being here today, for being such an open book. It's really nice talking to you. And thank you. Thank you for your great questions and taking the time to uh, illustrate what I was verbally communicating. Thank you. <laughs>